Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today our teaching comes from the book of Ezra. And uh, why Ezra? I'll need to take us back a bit to give us foundation of where our conviction is coming from today. You know, very well for some of you who are readers of the Bible, that Israel went through several years of exile under different uh, rulers in different seasons and times. And where this story is, God has raised people to take Israel out of exile of more than 70 years. God raises some men to stir the hearts of people to believe God for their return to Jerusalem and eventually rebuild the temple which had been destroyed before. So in destruction of the temple, the children of Israel have to rebuild it. And uh, God raises people like Zerubbabel, you remember that famous word, the ones that have started this work, they shall finish it. God does not despise humble beginnings. All of these words are spoken, raises prophets like Zechariah, Haggai, a gentleman called Jeshua. All of these are leaders in their right and generation, but they're all on a journey of restoring the glory of the temple and the worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they're doing everything they are doing in their time. And God raises even pagan kings like Cyrus, Darius, and many others uh, who he uses to give favor to the children of Israel to do their work. And fundamentally, there are three men which were pillars of this work. One is Zerubbabel, like I mentioned, who is the uh, mind behind the rebuilding of the temple. The second one is Nehemiah, which if you have read, is behind the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And then third is Ezra, this fellow I'm talking about, who has a prolific voice in his day. Uh, he was a, a scribe of the law, a son of Sariah. And God had raised him so distinctively in his time, of course, after the going of the Zerubbabel, the Zacharias and Haggai. God raises him up as a leader. But at that time, Israel is under Babylonian rule. There's this Persian guy called Ataxarsus. So Ataxarsus is a king then, but the children of Israel are under this guy. So they used to conquer many kingdoms and put them under their empires. And Ataxarsus was one of those people, and the Jews were under them. Now, these guys, like the Dariuses and Cyrus before them, they didn't have so much issues with allowing those kingdoms which were under them to worship their gods, as long as the worship of those gods did not conflict with the order of the kingdoms. And that's 
really the the textbook of Roman system, what we call Roman system. Uh, many governments across the world apply that. It's a harder and deeper conversation I could have with those of you who are interested in the philosophical interpretation of you know, governance, management, and leadership on all levels in life. You find the Roman system is the most adopted system of management. Of course, most of it is not biblical, but that's not my part today to you know, express because I have a lot to share in this broadcast. So, at that time, Zerubbabel is responsible for the building of the temple, like I said, Nehemiah, the wall, and Ezra, worship. God raised him as a reformer to bring back true worship in the church. That's the completion of the temple. It's also, in some sense, or most of the case, part of what you would call building the temple. So when you hear Ezra building that's part of his responsibility because the temple is not fully built if you have not established the code and pattern of worshiping the temple because God is not interested in brick and mortar. He's interested in the heart and the transformation of lives as you define the destiny of our people. I hope you follow. You have seen world religions today who pride themselves in the most beautiful edifices. They have wonderful castles and cathedrals and all these wonderful things that are magnificent. And they have, you know, organs and what? And yeah, you look at it and you're like, mm. but they are all useless if God is not in them. You agree? So to finish the work really is to also bring worship, which Ezra is doing. So he asks the king, Babylonian king, for permission to go to Jerusalem so they can finish the work that God has mandated these wonderful leaders through the generations to finish concerning the work of the rebuilding of the temple and Jerusalem as a nation. And so the king, Babylonian fellow, allows them and says, go and do what you want to do. It's in there that um, this Ezra fellow gets all the people that he has been allowed to go with from verses 21, he said, then I proclaimed a fast. Chapter 8, verses 21, Ezra. He says, I proclaim a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might afflict ourselves before our God. Now, the word there for afflict is not sickening yourself or what. If you'll check that from the Amplified Version, it says there, I proclaimed a fast at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves. So the afflicting there is not punching yourself and say, Father, we repent, and then you prick yourself. No, it's a humbling of yourself. But let's go back to KJV. That we might afflict ourselves before the Lord or humble ourselves to seek him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. Yes, the king has allowed us, the taxes has allowed us to go to Jerusalem, but there's a long journey there and there are many enemies, there are many kingdoms we're going to go through and all of them which are hostile against the children of Israel. So this fellow says, let us fast and seek the Lord that God might show us the right way to go and for our children and all our wealth. Otherwise, they might plunder our wealth, might destroy our children and kill us. God, how do we go through these hostile nations to get to Jerusalem? He's seeking the mind of God. For, he says, 
I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way, because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all of them for good that seek him, but his power and wrath is against all of them that forsake him. So we fasted and besought our God for this, and he was entreated of us. What is he saying? These men have found favor, you see, before the king at Exorcist. And he has allowed them. But before he allows them, as Ezra is pleading their cause, Ezra boasts and says, you know, we are Israel. God loves us. He cares for us. We are a choice nation. We cannot fail. We cannot do this. Nothing can befall us. His hand is upon us as we go good. We have a covenant with him. Just allow us to go. Now, the king has allowed that their God is with them. So they don't worry about their safety. Now, the same Ezra cannot go back to the king and say, but give us soldiers and somewhat horsemen to help us because we might, uh, you know, fall into some random hostile uh, group and they might take us out. Because he knew it was a conflict of the language he used when he was pleading the cause of their release. You understand? You have boasted that the God of Abraham, Isaac, is with you. He will keep you. His hand is on us. And I think he might have brought out all these stories of the Jews and how, you know, seas were parted for them, the pharaohs were drowned, and all these kinds of things. Of course, at Exorcist is always like, hey, these guys have a God. You guys go. You see? Now, you can't go to the same fellow. You've been boasting over concerning your God, and then you tell him, but eh, give us some soldiers, eh? because guys might disturb us along the way. That would presuppose that your God is too weak to preserve you, even if he intends to save you. So at least Ezra has the consciousness and maturity to discern that Shem would follow him if he sought to ask for help. So instead, Ezra tells these guys, let's fast and pray. Since we believe in God, let's fast and what? And pray. So they put aside the time of fasting and praying. And as we go in verses 23, we fasted and besought our God for this. And he was entreated of us. He gave them an answer. And indeed, they made it to Jerusalem. Now, what am I trying to teach us about Peter today? This story gives us a very fundamental lesson on learning to lean your entire personality understanding, knowledge, interpretation of life toward God. We are found in many times in experiences where we claim we trust God, but we need a few soldiers. We trust God, but we need a few horsemen to cushion our comfort and keep our hearts at peace that in case anything goes wrong, there is some flesh, some bodily help without, and some even ministers say, oh, you know, God also uses those people to, you know, save us and stuff like that. And that could be debatable, again, depending on the circumstances. Because let me tell you, if God is done with you, even a banana can choke you to death. <laughs> the Baganda have a proverb that <laughs> when bad luck knocks on your door, a banana will break your tooth. They say, 
even a banana will break your eye. And they'll say, hey, as he was eating a banana, his tooth fell out. That means the softest thing, smallest thing can take you out. God is not with you. Likewise, if God is with you, not even a nuclear warhead can take you out. Somebody shout amen. amen. So we sometimes find ourselves in circumstances where we are leaning on other things and yet claim to be leaning on God. Intentionally or unintentionally. I've seen that all the time. And if you do a self-examination sometimes in life, you'll see it. Because sometimes the arm of flesh can become so powerful. You have a lady, a young woman, who fell in love with this interesting fellow. And he's married probably. But then he gave us so much. He gave her money, bought her a car. Then he rented her a house in Munyaunya. And then he got high, very nice bands. Omiyengar. They put an R why it's not. And uh, so she enters the comforts of life so early. And then one day she's on Kampala Road and you the OG going to Fanero with your old bag and, and dusted feet as if you're a rally car. You know. <laughs> you see her. You know, there are people who walk like rally cars. You see them from afar and the dust is... So the kafufu is up to here. You have 5K only. You even borrowed it from your friend. But you're going to Fanero. Then you find this interesting lady. And she's in the jam. She's putting on music, shaking her head. And he says, hello. Like, see me. I'm in a base. Why are you walking? You understand? Hey, mama. How are you? Your life has been so kind. Munange, on record. With an ara. Honre, they use ara there. Those ones usually don't speak nice English. Honre, God, to God be the what? The glory. <laughs> hey, when will you visit me? Oh, no, come, take us in number. I'm going to Fanero. Go and pray for me, you know. Then you visit her in Mu, Nyaonyo. And then you enter and say, Banange, you girl, Irene. Then you sit down and look at all of these things. You even kneel down and say, Irene, pray for me. I think there's something on my life that you can break. But if you study Irene, Irene has built wealth on a horseman and soldier, quote and unquote. You understand what I'm saying? Then you invite her to Fanero. She starts coming. And then as the word continues going in, going in, she's like, ha, I knocked. So she realizes that to be right with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, she might have to relinquish everything back to the DJ. <laughs> Who is following what I'm saying? Now that is where you know whether somebody is born again or not. Because it means you're going to leave that Benz and also hold the what? The bag like the rally car driver you who brought you to the church. Remember, you have family. Your mother knows. Your brothers know. Your sisters know. You even testify and tell people, when God has blessed someone, he has what? 
blessed them. Sorry, blessed them. And then, eh, eh, all your relatives who didn't know you, now they know you. They even introduced themselves. Don't you know your cousin's uncle's sister? The one from Rocheri, yes, I am the son. <laughs> Why? Because the day you get money is the day you realize all your relatives. Some of you, there are people who are your relatives. They're even in church, they've never introduced themselves to you. Because of the price of introducing themselves, it will become expensive for them. But as the Lord continues to do those things, oh, you'll discover how many people you're related to. Even your mother's friend is going to become your aunt and her children, your cousins. Do you understand? Why? Because so goes life. The Bible says that the rich man has many friends. That's what the Bible says. Wealth comes with the territory. Have you been around rich people? <laughs> God help me. One time I was in a meeting with a leader, one of the leaders in this nation, and he was speaking. But what he was saying wasn't funny. But the people around, because they were next to power, everything. <laughs> so I turned to these guys and I'm like, nah, yeah. If a poor man made that joke, who understands what I'm saying? If a poor man made that joke, it would not be funny. Because rich boy is making the fun, hey, if you don't laugh, I might not grant you money for your project. Eh? So, as long as it just greens everyone, ah! <laughs> that's how you know that you're rich. Use that as a litmus test. When you just say something small and people start laughing, that's when you know that you're what? Yeah. So, this person, imagine that world that has given them all the comforts of life. And tomorrow, because they believe in God, they have to relinquish themselves of all right and privilege because they have believed God. How many are willing to let go of the horses and chariots? Do you understand what I'm saying? It is hard. Even for the Mustang speaking spirit field, it takes so much. That when people find you and they say, what happened to her? She got born again. Not many of you in this room are able to do that. Now, I'm giving examples of a woman so it is with men, it might not be the same story, but something connected to that that might drive you one day to refuse to take certain things and certain advantages simply because you trust in God. That is exactly what Ezra is teaching us today. One time I was on YouTube and I see this fellow in a certain African country, not Uganda, and uh, he was a man of God, and he was going to church. And he had, like, cars in front, cars behind, motorcycles on the side. You understand what I'm saying? Armed um, Why? The man of God has to be protected as they go to teach God because he's too anointed to drive in his own car. What if people shoot at him? If they keep presidents, what about the man of God? Let me tell you the difference between the president and the man of God. The president is for the country. The man of God is for God. 
You, you, you get. Now, if Nehemiah found that man, or Ezra found that man, or the Zerubbabels, the men of that day, who carried shame, some sort of shame, if they found that man, what would they tell him? The days are changed, but God hasn't. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If they found that man, what instruction, what teaching would they give him? They'll tell him, learn to trust in God. No gun can keep you. Yeah, you might have this security because it's part of the arrangement of the nation. Where we have, for example, as Faneris, the responsibility of police to make sure that it deploys people for the safety of people. Why? Because in some of us, people are not born again and they need to be safe. So there is wisdom. You understand? Do you understand? So they're doing what has to be done and we thank God for them. But our primal faith is in God. I know ministers who can't walk out of their gate. They can be gunned down there. So even to go out, eh, the drivers have to first... Let's go. <laughs> Cost is clear. Put down your mirrors. Put them up. We are approaching the intersection. Is it clean? Everybody is suspicious. You get my point? Somebody say, God help us. Now, in that generation, a man was ashamed to ask for flesh and blood. In our generation, our faith is only in flesh and blood. You find somebody boasting on who he knows. Don't pray with me. I can just call the president now. Oh. One of our boys had a misunderstanding with somebody. And then uh, this man had the gun. He was wrong, but he had the gun. So he tells the boy, Gwe, do you know who you're playing with? Do you know I can take you out? And the young man told him, you can't. You can't. You can't. Because it takes more than a gun to take me out. The man of the gun got back into his car, scared of a young boy who didn't have a gun. Because he knows he's God. Be careful, if somebody tells you, go, a guy can shoot you. There are some whom they can shoot, not you. God is the saving strength of his what? He's anointed. But the arm of flesh. I will never forget one of my daughters in the ministry. This guy had a wife, and then he wanted my girl. And you know the Fanero girls, we teach them so well. So everybody's looking for them. You know, because, yeah, because you know, you don't want to marry a girl and she disturbs you. You understand what I'm saying? So, you know, so we prepare them. You know, they kneel down, they are humble, what? They understand messages. They've listened to the sermon, submission, strange woman one, virtuous woman, Hannah's cry. Things are in their head, you understand? So he buys her a car. 
very expensive card, and then he gets the key and then puts it in a small box and then wraps it and writes on the card, happy birthday, sunshine. And then he sends her the keys. And then this girl comes and says, Papa, now you see. You see what this guy's thinking. I said, are you going to take it? She told me, no, I just wanted you to see. When you're praying for me, I want you to see the things I have lost for the sake of Jesus. Oh! She gets the keys, packs it back, gets the very card where Sunshine was. She rubs the words and writes, kindly give this to your wife. She needs it more. Mm, I said I've preached the gospel. <laughs> because if it's not from God, it doesn't matter how beautiful. If it's not from God, it doesn't matter how strong. If it is not from God, it doesn't matter how glistering it is. It's not from God and I'm okay. If it's not from God, it doesn't matter how quick it comes. You cannot put your trust in the arm of flesh. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, verses 5, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, whose heart departeth from the Lord. Because the moment you put your trust in men, your heart has actually departed from God. You don't know, but it has. If you ever find yourself in perpetual lack, you know, some of you don't come out of problems. You're either borrowing or begging. That's the life you've lived. You're always borrowing, begging, borrow, begging. It's not a season. No. For as long as we know you. Yes. For as long as we know you, you're living in perpetual begging, lacking. If the landlord doesn't chase you out, your fuel is out. If your fuel is not out, your gas is out. If your gas is not out, the fees is out. If the fees is not out, your hair is old. Something has to come up. And then you borrow from everyone you know. And you even know you're not going to pay. But you've gone to a point where you are a perpetual borrower. You cannot not take money if it's given. You have to find your way to take it. And then some of these people later meet and talk and they say, huh, Munai, God took my money. You know there's a way it comes out. Even you. And as John says, even you, the third one is also saying, you took mine too? And somebody in the corner eating a donut also says, mine too. <laughs> so you realize that you have actually borrowed from the whole world. You're in prison, somebody's looking for you. You know, they have to take you in. You're coming out tomorrow. Then the next day, another one takes you in. And then as that one takes you out, then another one who you confused in 92 also remembers and rekindles some fire and they take you in. If you ever find yourself in that place, question when or how your heart departed from the Lord. Because no man who puts their trust in God can be put to shame. I remember one day in university when I told myself I will never beg. I was lacking, but I told myself I will never beg. No borrow. There's nobody in this world in this world whose loan I have. Not one. Not one. 
because I trust in God. And he said he will never put me to shame. He said he will never put me to shame. Get to a point of sleeping hungry because you refuse to beg or borrow. That's deliverance. That's deliverance. That's the man who knows. Otherwise, you'll find yourself compromised and your heart will go places where you shouldn't go. So he says, if that man trusts in man and makes flesh his arm, his heart departs from the Lord. And the Bible says, it shall be like the heap in the desert and shall not see when good comes. Do you know the meaning of shall not see when good comes? You are blinded from every spiritual opportunity available for you. God has ordained a contract to come your way. And that's the contract that should make you wealthy. But you find yourself compromising to date and sleep with a married man because you need money. And God says, when good, that opportunity comes, you'll be blinded from it. And some of you are not stuck wherever you are because help never came. When it did, you were blind. I'll give you an example. Look at this woman called Hagar. When she's in the desert and water is out and she's carrying Ishmael, you remember? And then God, an angel of God appears to her and tells her, do not weep for God has heard the cry of the Lord. And the Bible says, the Lord opened her eyes to see the well of water. The Bible doesn't say God created a well. The Bible says God opened her eyes to see a well of water and she went and filled the boat with water and gave the lad to drink. If Hagar had not prayed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, neither had carried the seed of Abraham, Ishmael, it means her and her boy would have died next to a water body. Some of you have fainted where your answer was because you were blind to the opportunities that God has set your way. Why? Because you started this all wrong. You put your trust in flesh and blood. And you will never know just how near the miracle was. Because usually they faint when they're next to the water. They always faint when they're next to the water. And then you find this person who says, ah, me, I gave up on God. And probably at the point they were giving up, they were just like two steps of a journey of 10 years or 15 years of believing God. And it means to restore them, they need to go back and redo the process for another 10 or 15 years to still come back to that point because it's a journey. And many believers are there. At the point when God was about to bring the right man, you compromised. At the point when God was about to bring the right job, you compromised. At about that time when God was about to bring the miracle, you compromised. And now, when you look at yourself, you say, ah, things are not working. You blamed everything. Your cousin, your dog, your kidneys, your everything. You blamed everything. But the problem is not any of those things. The problem is you've never really taken time to examine how far and when your heart departed from the Lord. Because you cannot believe God and lack. It's not possible. Don't be confused by the doctrines people are preaching outside. No. I'm telling you the truth. He said, no man which believes shall ever be put to shame. How can they throw out your stuff of a house because you failed to pay rent? That is shame. And remember in the neighborhood, you're the born again man. 
You're the man of God. You're the one they call to to pray with them. And now see, they're throwing out your television sets and your chairs because you failed to parent. That is not the way of God. If you ever go through that, don't ever blame anybody. Go and kneel down before your God and ask him to examine you in your heart. Where did I depart from you? What did I miss? You'll be amazed if you humble what God will reveal to you. Are you following what I'm saying? So he says, when good will come, you shall not see. You'll be blinded from your true inheritance. And then follow a life of confused inheritances. You'll find yourself in places that you are not ordained and you're positioned wrongly already. So the frequencies and vibrations of the world are all working against you because you are displaced spiritually. Physically, you live in a home somewhere in Nalungolongo, but spiritually, you cannot be located in the course of purpose and order, divine order. Why? Because at one particular point, you frustrated the way of God through unbelief. He continues to say, but you shall come to inhabit the patched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. In other words, when you put your trust in men, flesh, the arm of flesh, you'll end up in a patched place. It doesn't matter whether that day, that year you drove a Benz or that week you slept in a very nice expensive apartment or you owned land in America and owned apartments in Maldives. A day comes one day where whatever was there starts to find its way and one day you'll find yourself in the patched places in the wilderness. Oh yes, I have known people who have gone in the wilderness because God is dealing, but such people don't lack. The wildernesses in which God takes you will not cause you to lack. But I've also seen people who have gone in wildernesses because they trusted the arm of flesh. Now you broke the heart of the very guy who was feeding you and your child. But he was married. He went back to his first wife. He's not answering your calls. Yet the rent is next month or this month or you're three months behind schedule. You can't pay for the electricity bill. Your child cannot go to school. Now you are in church praying. If you're that kind of person and you're listening to me, type a message after service and tell that man, I am done. I've chosen to trust God fully. Wait for the consequences. Because it's going to be hot. You might fall into the wilderness a bit. But I tell people, there is nothing as beautiful as being in patched places, but obedient to God. You always come out. And when you come out, you will come out bigger. Let me tell you, the challenge is some of you watching us today or listening or who see us here, we might not tell you our stories because some of you might even find it hard to believe. But some of us have been pushed every now and then in life to choose between God and man. This COVID season, a man approached me and they had this group and they were willing to offer me so much money if I did certain things for them. 
You understand? And I had the choice to take it. I remember one time, a person offered to buy us land and build a church if we did certain things. And it could have been a quick fix. The people outside would say, ha, that man is moving. But the Bible speaks of men whose glory is in their shame. You see what I'm saying? You carry a glory, but it comes with the shame of having compromised and did something out of the way of the Spirit. Years ago, when we just started Fonero, I was with Pastor Zach, and uh, we're coming from La Bonita. And remember, when I started Fonero, oh my goodness, only faith <laughs> was to start, and there was not enough money, and then many of the people we had were students. And then I remember we needed chairs, we needed machines, we needed everything to enter the Emptying Arena. And there's this fellow who used to pray with us, very rich fellow. He comes on a table with me and Pastor Zach. Then he says, I have lent money to this ministry. I've lent money to that ministry. I'm willing to give you all the money you need. All the money you need as a loan. When you guys are ready, you pay me back. So I said, how do you mean all the money? He says, any money you want. To the hundreds of millions, I don't care. You just mentioned the price, I'll lend you. Then he added, you know, you boys are so young. So I would have given you, listen to it. I would have given you, but if I give you, I'll be spoiling you. So you need to borrow and then you'll pay it, no interest, whenever you want. We'll write an agreement and stuff like that. I think maybe in his heart he was trying to help. I believe. But he didn't know God. So I go back home. I, I call Pastor Zach. I say, Pastor Zach, did God lend that man the money he wants to lend to us? Is it an extension of a loan he received from God so he wants to give? Because this is the church. Is he saying that he's lending God? If God has made you a millionaire in dollars, how do you go to the church, the very altar of God, the God you believe, and want to lend it? Do you understand what I'm saying? I said, the Bible says, he that borrows is a servant to the lender. And I told Pastor Zach, this spirit is coming to rule over Fanero. He's not coming to give us money. Because if they wanted, they would have given us that money with no what? Condition. The next day, I sat down with a wonderful man and I said, we're not taking that offer. In my heart, I knew he meant well. I knew he meant well. But there are things he didn't know about God. I think he erred in ignorance. By faith, we moved. I got all my personal savings. And I believed God. And I bought the first equipment. On my money, without funeral money, all the first equipment we bought and moved by faith, rented chairs, struggled through. Now let's do this, let's do that. We rented some equipment and God brought people during that time to rent from. And we set up in our small way. Now, I don't know what I could tell the man who didn't want to spoil us. Because if it is spoiling, God has really spoiled us. 
He has really spoiled us. And your giving weekly meeting was about 3 million shillings. 12 a month, 10, 9. Now you give by the billions every month. So, surely God is spoiling us. Are you following what I'm saying? But here was the challenge. If by that desperacy, I accepted to get a loan for a quicker win, I had submitted myself to a spirit that I don't know how I was going to take myself out of because I had become a servant to a man and not God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So sometimes we make decisions and they might make us look like we are slow, but it is because it's important to do it God's way. There are other ways I can get money. If you have noticed, I've never said, you, how much money are you going to give us? You see, you've never seen me fundraise. Even recently, there's a property we bought as a ministry, but we never called any partner. No, when the ministry is out, I can get of my savings and put it there. It's okay. Because there is nothing that is ungodly like a man giving out of a heart that is not committed and made up. You see? Bible says, let each one of you give as his own mind and heart as purpose, not reluctantly, sorrowfully, or under compulsion. For God takes pleasure in prices above other things and is unwilling to abandon or to do without a cheerful giver. He cannot do without you. That means he will make sure he makes you wealthy because he can't do without a man who gives cheerfully. Now, instead of a man manipulating a man to get a million dollars because we need it, I would rather I don't manipulate him and put my trust in God, even though the work might be slow, eventually it will be done, because I don't want to take from a man who has not yet come to the revelation of giving. They would rather keep their money. Yeah, let them keep their money and rot with it. You understand? You know, people have this, oh, the church takes our money. No, if you're that kind, keep your money. Keep it. We don't need it. Because the kingdom of God cannot lack. With your giving or without your giving, there are people God has ordained and they don't give anymore because they are compelled they give because they have a revelation of who they serve. And as I continue to do that, we started to see more willing givers. In Fanero, people just hear that there is a need and they respond. We don't beg. They just hear that there is a need and they respond. And some of you have grown into it. Praise God. Why? Because if I don't do that, you know some people say, oh, I don't care whether they lack but as long as the work of God is done, no. God, they want you to give him from that perspective. That is manipulation. That's why you've seen churches which are big, but their members are very poor. <laughs> you see this huge cathedral, but there are only 13 cars outside. And you're like, how? He should have more cars outside. It should progress in other areas of life. Their marriages should be, everything should be in check to show that they look like the temple. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
They look like the temple. Because it's where they feed. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if some of you will want to know why I don't usually manipulate people, this is the reason. I trust God. I trust God. And this ministry has built by the least expected people. That is why here in this ministry, we don't have favorites, but that's a rich one. This one, we have to handle them this way. Some of the richest people in this ministry may be even seated in the back and they are okay. They're there. I know them, but they're okay. Because when they come to the presence of God, they don't come to, you know, to brag their right of wealth. They come to meet God. And when they are done, they go back and serve their God. Some of the richest people in this ministry, one time one of the biggest givers in this ministry, I went on the ground, was setting up. And I found them setting chairs. I found them setting chairs. And I was like, I said, you know God. Why? Because some of you, your little small millions, little small little things, your billions on the account make you think that you're too special to serve the house of God. Your heart is far. How can you not serve the one who gave you everything? Even if it means cleaning, if it's the house of God, do it. It doesn't matter how much wealth you have in this life. That's the mindset I give all our leaders. God has blessed us. Believe me, people take flights to come just to see Apostle Grace and they go back. And they sleep in hotels for weeks to see me. But I'm still down to earth. I'm a simple fellow. I play basketball. You meet me. Hi, how are you? Because we cannot build around what God has given us to become gods over men. You understand what I'm saying? No. Use your liberty for service, the Bible says. The more free and richer you are, the more humble you should be and serving in the kingdom. You understand what I'm saying? I have people who have very top positions in this government. And then you hear they're in Barara mobilizing because that's just who they are. They've understood their part. And that's the message of the church. It should be for all of us to understand it, no matter how wealthy and blessed you are, when it comes to the work of God, you're willing to do anything. Why? Because you know what you could have been without this God. Are we following what we're saying, somebody? So, the Bible speaks of men which trust in God. Back to our story. In verses 7, again, as we are in Jeremiah 17, blessed is the man which trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. The Bible says, he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and spreads out her roots by the river and shall not see when he cometh but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the hour of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. zigatala. Oh! When a man learns to trust God, you will never cease. You know, a pastor asked me, what did you do? Because I testified and I said, Fanero grew three times more in COVID, in giving, in numbers, streaming centers, everything is just going upward. Everything. Everything. So he says, how do you guys do it? And I told him, man of God, we trust God. We carry no horsemen or soldiers, quote and unquote, as a figure of speech. We don't rely on anything. I don't trust in the lights. 
for people to come. I don't trust in, because I have this, so, you know, we have these people who think, oh, for people to come, you must have this. For people to have to come, you have to have this. So they're building things to attract people. That's kano. People come because God put something in me they're not able to see with their physical eye, but can testify of its manifestation in the physical world. That's why you come. We build from within. Let me tell you, as God continues to consecrate your heart, you will never put your trust in any man. There is no man in this world I cannot do without. That's a hard one, but it's true. Why? Because I died long ago. There's nobody I say, oh, without this one, Fanero won't move. There is nobody. Because when he's called me, he called me alone. And when he was instructing, I looked, there was nobody. So nobody has a vote on your destiny. Nobody. Put it in your head. You should tell yourself that. No man in this world. No. You must learn to trust God entirely. Because in many times of your life, you're going to find yourself between inclining to the arm of flesh or trusting in God. But this is the testimony. He says, your roots will spread out. You'll be as one tree planted by the waters. You'll not be thirsty nor hungry. The Bible says when drought comes, you will not care for it. Your leaf will be green in every season, whether it's hot or cold. People are crying, oh, COVID season, it's bad. But let me tell you, some of us are at our richest point in life. You see people cry? Some of us. And I mean there are people here who have also testified. Aha. Uh -huh. Some of us, we are richer than we have ever been. The heat is there, but we are not feeling it. We are fruitful even in the hardest times. Why? Because of how we began. This thing began by God. If you know you began by God, keep it there. Don't seek. Hey! If you entered COVID when you had a few soldiers, it has burnt you. If you entered COVID when you had a few chariots and horsemen, it has not been an easy period for you. But if you entered COVID with God, some of you, you're just waking up now. Okay, start today. And say, God, I can't explain the other two years, but today, from today, I'm going to put my trust in you totally. Somebody shout amen. I'm going to relinquish myself of every deception or language that seeks to introduce me to things that are not in your pattern or plan. Regardless of how quick and beautiful they are, I would rather do without them and keep you. Because God has promised, you will never cease yielding fruit. You'll be fruitful even in the hardest days. That is why David says in Psalm 62 verses 5, my soul, he's commanding his soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. I don't expect anything from any man. I don't have a few people who say, ah, this one, he can give us like a hundred thousand, and then the other one can give us like $200,000. So if we talk to this one, I don't have that thing in my spirit. My expectation is from God. It's from God. He always finds ways to provide for what I need.
That's why nobody in this ministry can say that I begged you of something or borrowed anything from you. My wife knows. Whatever we have wanted from God, we go on our knees and believe him. Do you understand? That's the life you should live. Get to a point where you know you can call somebody and they can easily bail you out, but you can trust God and choose and go on your knees and say, Father, I know that Peter, I can just call him right now and he gives me food. But I cannot preach to a man I'm begging. I can't. Neither can I stay servant because a man lent me. Do you know if you're in this room and you have someone's loan, whether you want it or not, you're their slave. You're their servant. Spiritually, you might say, hey, but me, I have my own business, but you're their slave. You're their servant. You know what it means to be somebody's servant? It means, spiritually speaking, there is money you're making, but it will always find its way into their house. Did you get what I just said? If you have a loan of anybody, there is money you're making, but when it comes out of your hand and you might even do it in a silly investment and it's taken, it will still find its way and say, hey, Bozzy, who did I come from? And then it goes back to Apostle Grace. Put your name. You're working for them. You just don't know because you didn't pay them. Doesn't make them more broke. No, you are the one becoming more broke. So if you have a loan, in fact, I'm praying for people who have loans and genuinely want to pay because there are people who are serial borrowers. They don't even want to pay, even if they got the money to pay. Why? I'm praying for those who have genuine loans and you want them paid. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for that man and woman who has a loan. May God create a door to help you pay it and never borrow again in Jesus' name. It is done! David says he's my rock and my salvation. He's my defense and therefore I shall not be moved regardless of whatever is happening in the world. Lean entirely, entirely. Some trust in horses and chariots. You trust in God. I might not have a connection with a, this person or this special man or woman in the country, but I have God. I might not be known by the kings and princes. That's okay. And I don't look for them. I don't look for them. I don't look for kings. It's not pride. Some of you think, no, but you are proud. No, I'm not. I just know who I am. Didn't the Bible say they will come to my rising? <laughs> so I have to wait for them. If they have not come, it means I just need to continue chanting my craft. One day, some of you listening to me, you'll be unavoidable. You will be unavoidable. Even when they want to ignore you, they will not ignore you. They look like this and they dream about you. They wait. Oh! You ignore me, I come in your dreams. Come on, somebody. Glory to God. And I preach the gospel in your dreams. Some of you, you need to be introduced. And I don't know who I'm talking to, but I'm prophesying. Some of you listening to me, 
God is going to create images of your person in the spirit to introduce you to those who you've been looking for and they will come to do you good. Receive it in Jesus name. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because when God introduces you, when God introduces you, no man can stand in your way. If they have not called me yet, God doesn't want me there yet. But the day he wants me there, they will call, my phone will be off, they'll look for my wife's number, it will be off, they'll look for my pastor's number, it will be off, they'll drive. Why? Because our trust is in the Lord. Don't invest in things that disqualify you from the favor and blessing of God. Stay in your place and wait on him. It might take five years, but they eventually come. It might take six years, but they eventually come. It might take seven years, but they eventually come. As some of the people who have been with me, they'll tell you how many things and people have looked for me. Why? Because all I need is just to go in the presence of God and go on my knees and what? Seek Him. That's all. Everything comes. Eventually it finds its way. It eventually finds its way. One time I know a friend of mine, a man of God, he told me of this wonderful man of God who said, you have to take me to this person. If he knows this pastor, and this pastor knows him, and this pastor knows him, you must introduce me there. Because this spiritual figure, political, he thinks that by being seen with them in the picture, it will elevate their place and positioning in the kingdom. How lost. So this person comes, who introduced them to the other person, and they said, you've been with me all these years, and you know I can just call and introduce you to this person. Why have you never called me? And I told them, if they need me, they will call me. <laughs> if they don't need me, I am okay. I am okay. Why? Because I know who gave me what I have. I know who feeds me. I know who clothes me. I know who preserves my house and my children. I know who leads my life. I know who anointed me and who called me. I just need to be present to that one and let everything align itself to God's purpose. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't, don't go looking for favors. No. Just hide yourself. And you'll see men dig roads and build bridges to get to you to get to you. They will come. They will come. They will come. Look at our Jesus. This man stands on a lake and thousands of men, they are starving, but they want what's on his life. Thousands of their women, they abandon their ships and businesses just because they need to listen to this man because God put something on him, anointed him. That's why I say, may God anoint you enough for them to come. If they've not come, do not fight. Do not fight. My biological brother, who is also a man of God, one day he said something that was so powerful. And he said to me, 
if you're in a congregation, you're a pastor, you're a bishop, you're whatever you are, and they never recognize you. He said, you know that God has not recognized you and that you don't need to be recognized. Because when God wants to recognize you before men, even if the MC doesn't want to introduce you, somebody will come and introduce you. In my life, I've been in places. <laughs> One time I went in this meeting where the pastors said that don't introduce Lubega Grace. Don't introduce him. Don't even mention him. Now, because I'm that kind of person, I was given a front seat. I refused it and went and sat in the back because I had the conversations. If you don't want to introduce me, I'm not interested. So I sat. God brought somebody on the altar and said, I cannot ignore a man of God. Vakukatonda. <laughs> <laughs> and some of the people who didn't want to recognize me were not mentioned. Because if God is to introduce you, even if you are among billions, he will call you out. If he has not yet, wait on him. A time will come where you cannot be ignored. Somebody shout hallelujah. A time will come when you cannot be ignored. But so it is in every aspect. Some promotions are available and they tell you pay this much, you'll be promoted. Tell them no. The one that God brings can't come like this. I will wait on God. You go ahead. How many of us have found those who started? Come on. This God you believed? Oh. A man can run his race in ministry for 40 years, 50 years, and God raises a young man who will do in four years what you have done in your one lifetime. Because he's doing it God's way. How many of you, if you remember, when you were raised in this community where you always had this richer family, and then you looked at these rich kids, huh? and then your father even used to give examples of some of your neighbor's children. You know, they had bikes you didn't have, you need to go there. I remember one day, they had this rich neighbor during that time, we had a black and white television that had died. And then there was this neighbor who had everything. These guys had bikes, they had cars. These children used to go every holiday to Miami, Florida. And then, you know, they used to throw these things around. Imagine, in your holidays, as you're being taken to the village, some kids are taking flights <laughs> for Christmas in California. And then they return. And I remember one day, friends of mine were playing football. And then... In the community, some of these rich kids also used to group up with rich people's kids. You get my point? And then the poor ones also, middle class, you also find your way. So I'll never forget, I go to this gate and uh, I was with a group of guys who were rich kids, but they were friends. And their fathers were friends of my father. And then we get in and then this guy says, come for a movie. And so we reach the gate. And when we reach the gate, these boys get in and they enter. So as I'm entering with them, this boy tells me, you go out, you don't look good. You're dirty. 
he said. He told me I was too dirty to enter with the rest. I wasn't really dirty, but he meant to say, no, it's the truth. I was playing with the boys, I knew, but the issue was I was a poor man's kid. That's what he meant. You don't belong here. Go, close the door. Da. Years later, I'm entering Emirates flight. I'm going to the first class and this man bypasses me and he's going to economy. He's going to what? To economy. I sit in my first class lounge and I say to a good way. What are you going for my American friends? Up there is a God. A couple of years in COVID, I find a very young man who locked me up. I'm in my Mercedes. He's in his father's old car, which he bought when we were still children. And he's drunk and he's on the lights. And the police have arrested him. And I'm Apostle Grace. You get? I park, I see this young boy in the father's car. And being Apostle Grace, I can talk to any policeman. So I said, how can I help you get out of this mess? And I did all the help they needed to go home. Things change. Things change. There are people you're taking for granted now. You laugh at them, you disregard them, but a time is going to come where you cannot ignore them. I'm living proof. I'm living proof. I'm living proof. Even you parents, as you raise your children, raise them up with the understanding of how the world works. Because some of your children, by what God has given you, are already spoiled. You don't know. Raise them up with a certain identity that only has its trust in God and not what you have. You tell them, this wealth I have is for me and my wife. It's not yours. You seek your God and find your own way. It's an error to raise children up, making them think that they are going to inherit your things and work through them because they have their own course. And God didn't need your wealth to make them. Like you were born with nothing, he can still build them from nothing. Introduce them to God and just teach them how to live and work with other people. Because some of those people who are rich, I have seen them come on my door begging bread and I give it to them. Because it's the only way I can teach them the God I met. Because some of us without God, hey, so to the person here who has believed God and things have not yet happened, some things have not yet manifested, you're still waiting on God. I have good news for you. Wait. Expect from Him. Things will turn. Don't trust God's 30% and put a horse or chariot for 70. Don't trust God 99% and then carry your 1% on a horse. Lean on God entirely. Get to a point where you tell yourself, if it is not coming from God, it doesn't matter how good. Let me keep the conscience. 
Paul speaks of how his conscience bore witness in the Holy Spirit with the Holy Ghost. I tell people that many people might never testify right about you. There's even somebody who will think negative about you, accuse you of what you're not. But there's nothing that testifies greater to a man than the testimony of your conscience to know that you are not what they say, but you are what God has said. So the testimony of your life should not even be in what men are saying about you, right or wrong, good or bad. It should be in the truth you carry in your conscience that bears witness in the Holy Spirit that you are where God wants you to be. Even if you're in a one-roomed house, that is contentment. When your conscience is aligned to truth in the Holy Spirit. Even if you've not yet gotten married and you see these women carrying babies, it's okay. Are you keeping your body? Are you waiting for the right person? That's what matters. God can start now or next year and make your years more beautiful than the man who has been into the same thing in decades. It's never where you are. It's who you're with. Now raise your hands and talk to God. Talk to God. Lord, I look to you. I want the overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom.
spirit of a sovereign Lord, we thank you for your word today. There are men and women in this room who know that some of us would be nothing. It, it was not for you. Some of us would be nowhere if it was not for you. Some of us, the world would not even care to look twice if it was not for you. But thank you for choosing us. And even today, Lord, we recommit our trust in you. We lean our entire personality, everything we have, we are and will ever be to only you God the one true wise God to him be glory now and forevermore Amen give him a mighty clap of praise come on clap for Jesus clap for Jesus clap for Jesus Hallelujah. If you're sick in your body, trust that you are healed. Trust that your family situation has been dealt with. Trust that your career has been fixed. Trust that your life has been transformed. Trust that your story is rewritten. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have never given your life to Jesus and you're there and you say, today I want to trust in Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that I've had today. My life has been changed in these words. Today, I believe with my heart that you died for my sins and you are raised for my glory. And I confess your Lordship in my life. I'm born again. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowship at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.